We're going to start in Philippians 3 and verse 4. You've probably heard this before if you've been around church for any amount of time. Um, I'm going to read, a, I'm gonna read a, a little bit in 3, and then we're going to jump ahead to a passage that I'm sure you've all heard in Philippians chapter 4, because it's just one of those lovely, quotable passages. But we're going to start here, Philippians chapter 3 in verse 4. This is what it says, written by the Apostle Paul. Though I myself have, re ha have reasons for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Say bragging with me. Yeah, that's what he's doing. He's bragging. I've got reasons to put confidence in the flesh. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. What he's saying is, hey, by bloodline, there's nobody that's purer than me. I came straight from Abraham. I came straight from the tribe of Benjamin, which, by the way, is one of only two tribes left. Benjamin and Judah became what was known as the Jews after the disbursement of the northern kingdom. He's saying, hey, when it comes to... Uh, like heritage and being born in the right place at the right time, I'm the guy. I came from the family. I'm a purebred Israelite. He goes on. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, persecuting the church. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Wow, he went from bragging to boldness. To be a Pharisee would be to be the, in the upper echelons of not only social uh, society, but also religious society. It'd be like to be the theologian, the pastor, the, the chief priest, sort of the chief, he wasn't a chief priest, but to be in that realm of society is what he was. Is, he even says in the book of Acts that he trained under uh, one of the chief Pharisees according to the strictest sect, strictest sect of his kind. He's, he's bragging about all the things that he has going for him. Let's move on. But whatever gain I had, I counted it a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them rubbish. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them rush, rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness that is from God and that depends on faith. Amen. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and might share in his sufferings. Oh God, just let me suffer like you did. That's what he wanted becoming like him in death, and that by any means possible, I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained all this, or I've been made perfect, but I press on, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Isn't it a beautiful thing that we don't have to yet be perfect in order to walk in the presence of God? Is there anybody thankful that we don't have to attain perfection in order to have the presence of God? Even though we haven't attained it yet, we're on our way and he is with us all along the journey. Hallelujah. And I forget what lies behind and I strain towards what lies ahead and I press on towards the goal to win the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Here we have a man saying that he, he had it all. I'm gonna brag about it. I'm the guy. I had everything going for me. You could say in some senses he was there. And yet he says, I suffered a lot. I gave it all up because none of it compared. And then this passage that you all know so well, Philippians chapter four, I'm gonna start in verse 11, and then we're gonna pray and get into this. This is what he says. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned whatever situation to be content. Whatever situation I'm in, I've learned to be content. Why don't you ask your neighbor right now, are you content in life? Why don't you ask your other neighbor, no, really, seriously, are you truly content? Are you happy with where you are? Are you content in whatever situation you're living in and whatever might come your way, good or bad, beautiful or ugly, are you content? Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned whatever situation I'm in to be content. I've learned it. I know what it is to be brought low and I know what it is to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And you know this so well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We like to quote that sometimes, but do we really believe it? Will you pray with me? I just wanna pray that the Holy Spirit would breathe upon this message and that it wouldn't be from me, uh, but that he would speak to your heart. So pray with me. Jesus, we, we're so thankful for you and who you are. Just as we sing worship songs to you and celebrate communion, we direct the eyes of our heart upon you. And even now we ask that, that your presence through the power of the Holy Spirit would speak to us, each individually and as a faith community, that you have your way in us, that you would build your kingdom in us and that you would transform us from the inside out. We commit ourselves to you tonight. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, y'all probably have been on a road trip with your family. Maybe uh, you remember this from when you were a kid or maybe you have kids now. You're, you're going on a road trip and it's not 12 miles out of town and your kids ask you one question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's a natural question. We, even from a young age, we have this thing inside of us that wants to get somewhere. We want to be somewhere else. It's, it's a drive in us, and I, I'm trying to figure out in my own life if it's a healthy drive, if, if things like ambition and vision for the future are healthy, or if they're negative. And I've come to realize that it's probably both, but in many senses, I think as human beings, we allow it to be more negative in our life than positive. And we're always asking ourselves, like, when, are, when am I gonna get there? Because somehow we're discontent with what we have here. You know, even if you're speaking about children, you're in elementary school and, and you're thinking to yourself, oh man, this elementary school lifestyle is so oppressive. When I get into middle school, my parents will let me ride my bicycle all around town. I just want to get there. And then when you get into middle school, you're like, this is literally the worst time of my life. There's nothing worse than sixth grade. I'm convinced that hell is nothing more and nothing less than repeating sixth grade over and over and over again. It's horrible. And so you're in middle school and you're thinking, oh, I don't wanna be here, I just wanna get there. Just get me in high school and I'll be like older and free. <laughs> I can hang out. 
I can go to Taco Bell at midnight and spend the dollar that I have to my name. I just can't wait. And then you get in, you get into high school, and it's like, well, I'm just a lower classman. I can't wait till I'm an upperclassman because I'm a nobody. The big kids push me against the locker and I, I can't make the varsity team because I'm just too young and I'm too small and I'm not good enough yet. And so you, all of a sudden, even though you're looking forward to being there, when you get there, you're no longer looking forward to it. You say, I just wanna be an upperclassman. I just wanna, I just wanna be a senior and everybody will look up to me. I'll get my letterman's jacket. I can't wait till I get there. And then you get there and as a senior, you don't really feel as big or as cool, as special as you thought you would as a senior. You really feel like a little child. And then all of a sudden you're graduating and you're like, oh no, what do I do with my life? <laughs> and so you think, I know, I need to go to college because if I'm a college student, then I'll be there. I'll all of a sudden be really smart and wise and mature. And so I'm just gonna enroll in college because I just don't know what else to do with my life. I'm still living in my parents' basement playing video games. And so I just gotta, I'm gonna go to college and then I'll be there. I'll start to figure out who I wanna be in life. And then you get to college and you realize that 18 days of top ramen sucks and now you're all of a sudden thankful for mom's cooking. And then you're thinking to yourself, oh, I just wish I could be in elementary again. They didn't have anything to do but ride their bikes all around town. You ever been jealous of a dog before? I thought about this. Man, my dog, you got the life, dude. You sit around all day long and you just get to chill. I just wanna like, sometimes I've thought that. Yes. 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 <laughs> it's me too. It's like, I want to get somewhere where I could do something to be important and have a job. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, this is horrible. I just want to hang out again. <laughs> so then you start thinking to yourself, okay, well, now I have this degree. And because everybody else has a degree, I need to get like a career job. But I can't get a career job because there ain't no jobs in Idaho. So I end up working for minimum wage. And now the dude that didn't go to college has a better pay than I have because I'm starting at entry level. And so then you're thinking, oh, you know what? When I get my career job, then I'll be there. And then you finally get that job and you're thinking, man, I've been working so hard at school and getting my career job that I need to get myself a wife. And there's this void in you thinking that you want to get married because you're not really content with the situation that you're in because really you're not making that much money. And even though you're in your career, it's not really something that's going to fulfill you ultimately. You need a family. You need love. You need somebody that's going to be by your side. You need a helpmate. So you go off looking for that guy or that girl and you get that wife, husband and wife, and then you feel like you're there until you feel like, honey, it's just me and you. Why don't we create two little beings to run around and look just like us, to act like us in this world because we need to populate. <laughs> and you think, well, our family isn't really there until we have kids. And once we have kids, it'll all be perfect. We'll be there. We'll be there in life. I got my career. I got the most beautiful person in the world. Just give us two little rugrats and we'll be there. Be content. And then like one weekend having a kid, you're thinking, oh dear Lord, I will give you anything if you just give us one night of sleep. Just one full night of sleep. You start this bargaining thing with God. You know, you used to do that with big things in life. Like I'll totally follow you if you get me into that college. Now you're just like, give me 12 hours of sleep, Lord, and I'll give you anything. 
And then you're thinking, hey, you know what? We're not there yet because we have to do so much to take care of these kids. Once they get out of diapers, we'll have arrived. It will be all good. But school lasts like 18 years, and so you're just thinking to yourself, honey, when the kids finally get out of the house, we'll be there, it'll be all good, we just gotta get these kids out of our house, on their way, and then we can enjoy life, and we'll be there. <laughs> I remember when I thought to myself, if I could only make $25,000 a year at a job, I will have arrived in heaven. And you realize $25,000 buys about like two boxes of diapers, and it doesn't go that far. <laughs> so then you're thinking, if I could just make $50,000, and you know what? I don't know. Maybe those of you that make $100,000, you really feel like you're content and you're there. But from what I've seen, it almost doesn't matter what amount of money you make because you, you make more money, and then like the pastor, big notorious B.I.G., says, more money, more problems. <laughs> I don't know. Some of you probably know what that's like. But do you know what I'm saying where you always feel like you need to get there and you feel like once you get there, you're gonna be content? So now all of a sudden your kids are out of the house and you're lonely and you're thinking, well, at least I can retire and start playing golf. But then you're thinking, well, my back hurts too bad. I can't play golf. So I'm just gonna, you know what? Once I just get to heaven, I'll be there. Lord, just take me now. And you will be there. But how much of life do we miss paying, playing the cats in the cradle game? We have this thing inside of us that is like, either we spend our time worried about, regretting about, anxious about what we did or did not do in the past, or we spend our time worrying about, anxious about, thinking about, hoping that we'll do something in the future. And yet, we don't have either of those two things at all. What we have is this moment right now. Right now. Right now. You just lost it. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. What makes us think that if we are thinking about the things out there or back there, that somehow we're going to attain them without living in the moment right here? We need to learn to be a people that is content in the moment and the season and the now that God has us in. What we're looking at here is a passage penned from a man that lived an extraordinary life. You can look at somebody like the Apostle Paul or any of the other biblical leaders and you can look at them and think, wow, what an amazing life they had. We can idolize them sometimes the same way that we can idolize the leaders that we see in our culture, even, even looking at like our pastors and though we honor them, we don't idolize them, but it's so easy for us to look at people that seem to be there and not think through all of the hears that they went through to get there not to mention all of the issues that they're dealing with while they're there. Paul's writing this letter from prison. 
And if you read in other passages, which we don't have time to go into tonight, he, he kind of lays out the glorious existence that the Lord gave him after he decided to lay aside his life and start following him. He said, hey, five times I was whipped by the Jews with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was shipwrecked three times. Man, I'm in danger in the city. I'm in danger in the country. I'm in danger everywhere I go. Matter of fact, it feels like to me that God has put us apostles on display for the whole world to see that even our lives are like, like, we feel like we have death in our bones. I don't know if you ever, like, seriously thought about the sufferings that the biblical writers went through. And my point is not that, hey, they're not blessed. Quite the contrary, they are blessed. But the blessing of God doesn't always look like the blessing that this world offers us. So here Paul says this. He says, hey, there's some people out there that are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And look, if anybody out there thinks that they have reason to brag about anything, I just wanna tell you right now, I'm the guy. I have more reason to brag than anybody. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am from the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day exactly as God told me to be circumcised. Everything in regards to the law and the religion, he had done it perfectly. In fact, you heard him say it. He went so far as to say, in regards to legalistic righteousness, I'm faultless. He said, when it came to the church or the way or people like me and you, prior to meeting Jesus, he was zealous for persecuting the church. He was a murderer of those who followed Jesus. Who, what, he's, what he's saying to the hearers of this letter is that when it comes to being a Jew and being there, I was there. You, just take even his education, just that alone. If you didn't make it past the age of 12 and have the entire Torah memorized, you wouldn't go on. you go and do your father's trade, just like Jesus did, by the way. But the kids that were good enough, they went on and studied more and more and more, and they got put under a rabbi, and they'd follow that rabbi around, and they learned everything from them, and they learned how to uh, expound upon all the scriptures, and they, they reached this place, if you were the best, to become a Pharisee. You could say it like this. Paul was there. But apparently, no matter what he had going for him, he knew that what had been offered to him was worth the exchange of everything. In fact, he says it pretty severely. He says, whatever profit I had, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. In fact, I consider everything that I had absolute garbage compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The word that's used there, some theologians say it's the same word as dog excrement. They actually, some people are arguing that he's intentionally trying to like provoke this, this feeling in the hearers that he's, he's using something close to profanity because he wants them to understand, look, listen to me, everything that I had, no matter what I had or what you have going for you, when it comes to your righteousness based on what you could do and what you could accomplish and all the things that you might have going on for you in, in culture or prestige or position, it's all worth nothing if it comes in front of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's all garbage compared to him. Here's the thing that I think some of you would maybe be wondering at this moment is, Am I saying that everything in life that we would pursue is garbage? No. 
But as much as in our culture there's a negativity to comparison, there's also a, a beautiful aspect to comparison. And it's this. If there's anything in our life that we're pursuing internally, externally, money, job, position, family, whatever, even that spouse, if that person or that thing or that ambition comes in front of Christ, compared to Christ, it's absolutely worth garbage. We don't have to get rid of everything in our life. We just need to make sure that the things in our life are in proper position with Jesus at the top. He says, I was there, but I gave it all up because Christ is worth it. My righteousness was nothing compared to the righteousness that's found by faith in Jesus. So he was there, and he gave it all up, and then you'd think, based on his, his words and his tone, that then he would feel like, well, well, actually, I felt like I was there, but then I gave it up, and now I'm, now I'm there. But he goes on to say this, not that I've already obtained all this or been made perfect, but I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. There's, there's this thing inside of him that says, hey, even though I was there, I gave it all up to get here, and even though I'm here, I'm content here, but I'm still moving there. There's something about being ambitious for the future and running towards something all the while being content right where you're at. And then he goes on to say this, this passage that we all know so well. He says, look, I know what it is to live in plenty. I know what it is to live in want. I know what it is to be well-fed, and I know what it is to be hungry. I've lived in every situation, and I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. This is not like a meme. This is not a, a cliche tagline. I think this is coming from a man that truly means it when he says, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. You know, I got that verse tattooed on my back when I was 18 because I think I was thinking I wanted to dunk. You know, I could do it through Christ. I think sometimes people like quote that scripture with that sort of thing in mind. Like I can do what I wanna do if I have Christ. That's really not the context of what he's saying. He's not saying you're gonna dunk a basketball or run the 100 meters in whatever seconds and make a million dollars. He's saying whatever situation, whatever your circumstances, you could be content in them and I'm content in them, I could literally do anything because in anything, I have strength through Christ. I wonder, do you live with that type of commitment? Commitment to the call that he has asked you to walk out in your life. I wonder if you live with that kind of contentment. Like, are you truly content with your here and now? I get it. Sometimes there just, there just isn't enough money coming in from that job. Sometimes the situations with our kids, they're not there. 
no, God, I'm not content with my here and now because I need you to do something in my life. I need something to change. I need to get at least a little bit closer to there. I get all that. I get that, I think God gets that we have ambition in life and that's actually a, a positive thing because if he didn't deposit that in us, we'd all just sit around and play video games for the rest of our life or whatever it is. We would just die because we would never go out and like kill that animal and eat or populate or whatever. Well, you, never mind. <laughs> I don't have much motivation for that. There's, there's healthy ambition, but I feel like God was saying in light of this message that as Americans especially, we get a little bit further ahead with our ambition than God would have us get. He would, he would have us ask him, Lord, what do you have for me in this season? Even if it's not all that you've promised me, even if you do wanna take me there, what can I do for you here? How can I live to the, the most that you've asked me to live right here? And I think that smack dab right in the middle of these two scriptures that we read, uh, if, if it doesn't lie the answer, at least it lies um, some help. So I want to read uh, just right here found in the middle, Philippians chapter 4, starting to verse 4. And I'm going to give you eight things that I think will help us to live right now in a way that's both... Uh, content and honoring to God. This is what the scripture says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplica supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned from me or received from me or seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Number one. Choose praise. If you're struggling to be content in the moment and you're struggling with this, this angst inside of you that wants to get somewhere else, then my challenge to you, number one, is to choose praise. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm gonna tell you again, rejoice. Look, happiness might be a feeling. Joy might even be a feeling, though I'd argue that there's something to a believer that truly has the spirit and the presence of God living in them. The joy is not just a feeling, but let's just say that it is. Rejoicing is not a feeling. Rejoicing is an action that you could choose to do. Everybody said amen. Look, you might not be feeling like you're happy with your situation in life or your circumstances, but you could choose to rejoice. That's what he's telling us to do. That's probably what he did in order to get to the place where he could pen Philippians 4.13 and mean it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, even if you don't feel it, choose to rejoice. Number two. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. He says, let your reasonableness be evident to all. You have to make the faith that you have make sense, not only to you, but to the world that's watching you. 
If we wait until we get there to start living in the joy that God's called us to, then because believers face the same rain that unbelievers face, we're never gonna accurately represent reasonably the worth that God is worthy of if we're, still, if we're just waiting to get there. Why don't we just express to a broken world the goodness of God and they're gonna see that, you know what? Your life might not be perfect, but you're still living in the same struggle that I have and you're rejoicing in it and so there must be something deep inside you that I want. Let there be a reasonable response come out of you even if you don't yet feel it. I think that you just might get there if you would do that. Sometimes the way that we behave Myself, probably more than all of you included. It doesn't make sense the way that we live out this life in regards to the mercies that God has shown us. It's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, in light of all these mercies, lay down your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your logical response of worship. Number three, rebuke anxiety. Rebuke it. You know, I'm gonna say all three of them. You can keep that up. Number three, four, and five, rebuke anxiety, choose prayer, and start with thanks. Rebuke anxiety. Look, I know what it is to have anxiety, like this thing inside of you that you can't, you could tell yourself all day long. Some of you struggle with this, and so I wanna speak towards you in this room that you struggle with either depression or overwhelming anxiety. I know what it feels like where there's this thing in your gut. It's not even like a thought. It's, it's just overwhelming sometimes, and you, you're so anxious about what happened in the past or what's gonna happen or not happen in the future, and you're almost like, chained up by it and you know because you're a believer you know in your head I shouldn't feel this way God is good to me I know his love but my my knowledge of that can't like overcome this anxiety inside of me so I'm not condemning you I'm not I'm not rebuking you for feeling that way I, I know that there's something I'm close to it anxiety is something that's more felt and like overwhelming than just thought through logically I get that but we need to rebuke it. We can play into it or we can rebuke it. And the best way to rebuke it is to choose prayer. He says, he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication. That's the first step, go to God. Why is prayer sometimes the last thing that we go to when we're struggling with stuff? We're gonna be anxious, we're gonna toil over, we're gonna think about, oh, what am I gonna do in the future? Oh, the past, just pray. Man, if nothing else, prayer will drown out those feelings and those thoughts. If you need to pray all day long, then pray without ceasing. Maybe that's why God commanded us to do that. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks. If you don't know what else to pray, start by thanking God. Matter of fact, even if you do think you know what to pray, you should start by thanking God. Sometimes we get caught up asking because we're anxious, because we're worried, because we, we're ambitious, because we're whatever, we, we got a family that's going off the deep end or our job sucks or whatever. And so we find ourselves praying and seeking God and asking him for this or that and the other thing for me and bless me and lead me. And you know what? Why don't we just start by saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You give me this, you give me that. And when we thank the Lord, our problems start to look a little bit smaller by way of comparison. Seth, you could join me. Wrap this thing up. Y'all right? 
Number six, trust the source. Trust the source. We're Americans. We could do it. Let's make America great again, me and you. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, I hate talking politics. <laughs> There's so much in us that we want to accomplish something and it's, it's, it's the reason why sometimes prayer is the last thing we go to because we, we want to try this and try that and fix this and have that conversation or, or do this thing and work hard in that job. And, and we, we, we strive to get ourselves there. And what Paul's saying is, hey, don't be anxious about anything, but choose prayer, supplication, begin with thanksgiving, and pre then present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I find it so funny, this contrast here. He says, the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. There's something that God will do in your heart and your mind to protect you, and even though it's in your mind, you might not understand it. But he is the source of that protection. He is the source of the peace. We can't develop peace on our own. It needs to come from him. It needs to come from outside of ourselves into us. And that happens when we rebuke our anxiety, we seek him in prayer, we thank him for all that he's done, and we just turn to him over and over and over again. And this peace starts to guard us. Even when we don't know how it's working, even when we're going through the same tribulation today that we had yesterday, somehow the Spirit of God is doing something new in us and we can handle it more today. And by the way, what he does in you today is gonna help you get to tomorrow. Number seven, think about it. Think about it. He says this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, think about these things. Man, I could, I could, that could be a message right there. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Are you discontent in life because all you think about is what the Joneses have? All you think about is the grass on the other side of the fence? Are you, are you thinking about the fact that, well, Lord, I'm, I'm not content because I, I don't know if I'm ever gonna get married. I don't have that spouse. And so you think about that and you think about that and you think about that. Or you think to yourself, well, I'm just working for somebody else and I just wanna start my own job, my own company. And when, I'm, when, I, when I start my own company and, and then I'll be there. Or when I, whatever, when I make this amount of money, then I'll be there. And, and all you do is you think about the things that you're anxious about and the things that you want in the future or you think about the things that you didn't do right in the past. Can we retrain ourselves to just think about the things that are lovely, the things that are pure, the ways of God, the goodness of God, just by thanking him and praying, let's think about the good things. And lastly, practice, practice. Whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. How do you pray? What do you think about? And what do you practice?
think it's an epidemic that we live in. We get so caught up in our circumstances that we lose sight of the calling that God has given us here and now. I think that you can have ambition and you can have high hopes and aspirations to get there. But I don't believe you'll ever get there unless you learn to live here the way that God has called you to live here. Hey, I wanna ask you a genuine question. What, if anything else, what th that you're not doing right now could you do to live into the calling that God has for you right now, even on your way to then? Even if you have a there that your sights are set on, how could you live right here in a way that would honor God, in a way that would be a reasonable representation of what he's given you, his spirit, his presence, his goodness and his love. Let us not be a people that gets so caught up worrying about the past or worrying about the future that we don't live in the now because there's a world that needs us to represent him right now.